At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. The former president of the United States will now have to be prosecuted for espionage. This is one of four staggering implications left unstated in the New York Times already staggering bombshell report that Trump had hidden more than 300 classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. The first implication is obvious. More than 300 classified documents. This is what spies do. There is no prosecutorial discretion here. Trump will have to be prosecuted. Moreover, The Times matter-of-factly adds that on August 8th, quote, officials left with 26 boxes, including 11 sets of material marked as classified, adding one set had the highest level of classification, top secret slash sensitive compartmented information. He will have to be prosecuted and given the set of gravely secret TS slash SCI documents, he will have to be prosecuted for espionage. The third implication is that investigators now have security video of Trump or somebody acting on his behalf moving documents. 
maybe moving classified documents, maybe moving TS slash SCI documents from one container to another to presumably hide them from further FBI searches. That is the meaning of this detail in the Times about the subpoena served at Mar-a-Lago on June 22nd for surveillance footage. Quoting again, it revealed people moving boxes in and out and in some cases appearing to change the containers some documents were held in. The fourth implication from the Times reporting is a little bit more obvious, that Trump may still be hiding more classified documents at Mar-a-Lago right now. Quoting again, the Justice Department investigation is continuing, suggesting that officials are not certain whether they have recovered all the presidential records that Trump took with him from the White House. And in seeking a second round of security footage, the Justice Department wants to review tapes for the weeks leading up to the August 8th search. After seven years of the degradation Donald Trump has brought to this country and to each of us, it is hard to be astounded any longer. These implications, however, are astounding. It is one thing to hear about the vague belief that Trump had taken documents somehow related to nuclear weapons. It is quite another thing to read that among them was a set of documents with the highest possible security classification. It is a crime to remove them. It is another crime to possess them. It is yet another crime to show them to anybody. It is espionage. And it would be a different level of crime altogether, a level of crime this country has previously prosecuted as a capital offense to give them, to sell them, or to offer to do either to anyone from a foreign country. And none of these crimes would be mitigated in the slightest even if Trump actually had somehow declassified the documents. That's how serious this is. There are lesser issues, too. You would also not want to be Christina Bob right now. She is the former One America News talking head and Trump attorney, though I will need to see her diploma to be fully convinced of that now. After Trump returned 15 boxes of missing documents in June, the Times reports that Trump attorney Evan Corcoran drafted a statement and Bob, quote, said to be the custodian of the documents, signed the statement. What Bob signed says that, quote, to the best of her knowledge, all classified material that was there had been returned, according to two people familiar with the statement. At minimum, Christina Bob will now have to be investigated and perhaps prosecuted. If this cascade of nightmares were not enough, there is one more colorful detail. The 15 boxes Trump returned in January of this year by themselves included, quote, more than 150 sensitive documents from the CIA, the National Security Agency, and the FBI, spanning a variety of topics of national security interest. Just to make this all that much worse, after two weeks of inertia, Trump finally filed a legal motion Monday about the search. It demands that a special master be appointed to review everything removed from Mar-a-Lago. As Ryan Goodman of Just Security writes, at its core, Trump's court filing is Alice in Wonderland as a legal argument. Its central demand is for a special master to filter out all the documents for which there is executive privilege, but those 
are the very kinds of documents that belong in the National Archives. More extraordinary still, in the legal document he had filed under his name, Trump confirms earlier off-the-record reporting, boasts that he instructed one of his attorneys, his motion does not identify which one, to pressure, bully, and threaten the Attorney General of the United States in the hours or perhaps even the minutes before Merrick Garland addressed the nation about the search at Mar-a-Lago. Quoting what Trump somehow believed would make him look good, Quote, on August 11, 2022, counsel for Trump spoke to Mr. Bratt, that's the Justice Department liaison, by telephone. The first item of discussion was a message from President Trump to Attorney General Merrick Garland. The message was as follows. President Trump wants the Attorney General to know that he has been hearing from people all over the country about the raid. If there was one word to describe their mood, it is, quote, angry, unquote. The heat is building up. The pressure is building up. Whatever I can do to take the heat down, to bring the pressure down, just let us know, end quote. It is impossible to imagine how Donald Trump could be in deeper trouble than he is right now, Unless, perhaps, somebody were to report the exact nature of the FS-SCI highest security classification documents he stole. There are other new developments, obviously overshadowed by these extraordinary ones, worth a brief recap. Judge Reinhardt, in reviewing the possible unsealing of the search warrant affidavit, issued statements suggesting he is leaning against doing so. Quote, I was and am satisfied that the facts sworn by the affiant are reliable. I cannot say at this point that partial redactions will be so extensive that they will result in a meaningless disclosure, but I may ultimately reach that conclusion after hearing further from the government. End quote. In other words, the judge already thinks so much in the affidavit may have to be redacted that virtually all he might release would be page after page, fully blacked out, save for the occasional words, the, or, and, and Trump. Remarkably, Reinhardt also expressed his concern about how unsealing this might affect Trump's personal safety. Quoting him again, the affidavit raises physical aspects of the premises. Disclosure of these details could affect the Secret Service's ability to carry out its protective function. This factor weighs in favor of sealing. And the reaction from Trump land? Trump's lackey Cash Patel blames the GSA. The Government Services Administration is responsible for packaging and parceling those documents. They were the ones who moved those documents to Mar-a-Lago, end quote. If that doesn't stick, Patel will presumably move on to blaming allied van lines. And early Tuesday morning, in one of the greatest misjudgments in espionage history, since Alger Hiss denied knowing Whitaker Chambers, somebody... Maybe Trump himself sent John Solomon, the former journalist, a letter from the National Archives to Trump attorney Evan Corcoran from last May. Solomon posted it, tweeted it, and wrote a piece that completely ignores what's in the letter. In the letter, acting United States archivist Deborah Wall has written a virtual play-by-play of the government's repeated attempts in 2021 
to get Trump to explain what happened to the boxes of missing classified documents. Her letter also explains why documents returned to the archives in January 2022 were not analyzed by the Department of Justice until this May and June which in turn explains why there was no visit to Mar-a-Lago until June, which in turn explains why there was a sudden sense of urgency in July and August of this year for documents that had been missing for 18 months. Archivist Wall describes broadly how Trump, more than a year after he left office, tried to claim executive privilege over these documents, and the FBI and the intelligence community held back until it could get clearance from the Biden White House that if it looked at the documents Trump had stolen, it would not be violating executive privilege. The archives and the FBI and the intelligence community needed the Biden White House to say no. If there somehow is some sort of executive privilege over these documents, we, who have the exclusive distributorship of executive privilege, we will not object to waiving executive privilege. Solomon and presumably Trump clearly think the references in the letter to Biden and the current administration will let Trump and Trump supporters paint the entire investigation, search, and now the inevitable prosecution as mere political attacks on Trump by Biden. But the letter from the archives also shows that Trump has been consciously trying to hide these documents since at least January of this year, and that his attorney stonewalled throughout April, there is no longer any chance that Trump made some sort of stupid Trumpian mistake. He chose to hide them. It is a pure crime, no other options. And what's in them may be more startling than we ever imagined. Quoting, among the materials in the boxes, Archivist Wall writes on May 10th of this year, are over 100 documents with classification markings comprising more than 700 pages. Some include the highest levels of classification, including Special Access Program, SAP, materials. Note that well. Continuing the quote, access to the materials is not only necessary for purposes of our ongoing criminal investigation, but the executive branch must also conduct an assessment of the potential damage resulting from the apparent manner in which these materials were stored and transported. In their late night rush to try to make Trump the victim here, they have neglected to note what Kyle Cheney of Politico writes. The letter does more to show how Trump and his team resisted the archives entreaties than anything that has come out so far. And this is all before subsequent tranches were discovered at Mar-a-Lago. More ominous still. Back to SAP. Investigative reporter Jason Leopold notes that special access program SAP materials are highly classified and sometimes referred to as black projects end quote. In other words, black ops, off the books, CIA skullduggery and such. Trump may have stolen documents dealing with the most secret operations run by this government, the very existence of which is a classified secret. His crime here is twice as bad as it was before Solomon published that letter from the archivist. So, 
The breadth of the documents Trump took from Mar-a-Lago makes prosecution inevitable. That one set of these documents has the highest possible secret classification makes prosecution for espionage inevitable. The wording of the Times article reveals there may be video of people mishandling these classified documents. The Times reporting is clear. The FBI and DOJ are not certain that there are not more classified documents still being deliberately hidden by Trump illegally. Trump's own side has released a letter confirming he made a choice to hold on to documents when asked to return them and that the documents may have referred to off-the-books international intelligence operations. One or more of Trump's lawyers may have lied to the FBI about illegal possession of classified documents, and Trump, in his own legal filing, has confirmed, yes, he threatened the attorney general and the nation with violence. Lastly... They have not done so. Almost certainly they will not do so now. But this would be a real good time for Trump's supporters in government, in the Republican Party, in the country, in the world, to bail out on him. It is unimaginable that from here on in, that there will not be professional casualties for those who defend this man who is now on a path towards becoming the most damaging spy in American history. Woof. Still ahead on Countdown. Not enough treachery for you? Well, Trump's Kraken crew. Hey, your Kraken is showing. Sidney Powell and the other con women and con men actually did more than just try to shake the foundation of this nation. They appear to have illegally distributed sensitive election data taken from Michigan and Georgia and distributed it to, among others, a friend of Sean Hannity's and a professional surfer dude. Are you tired of sports sponsorships and on-field ads? Tough. They're now selling sports sponsorships for injured player rehabilitation stints and the story of the most talented newsman I have ever worked with and how his ability to get the job done on no sleep with no prep when he wasn't really there led to his self-destruction. That's next. This is Countdown. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. 
Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Coming up, the newest sales pitch in sports. This growing poll is brought to you by... First, in each edition of Countdown, we feature a dog in need somewhere in the country whom you can help. Every dog has its day. And once again, we go to the Baldwin Park shelter outside Los Angeles. This time, it's gorgeous Roxy. Once again... Another dog surrendered by her human in June, a story we're hearing left and right these days, so her time at this shelter is running out. Affectionate, she loves to play, she loves the pool, loves belly rub, she had a tough start inside the pound, but she's getting used to it, and they love her there. She's a lab mix, two years old, gorgeous, plush, creamy white coat. To find out more about Roxy, please go to my Twitter feed for Dogs in Need. That's at Tom Jumbo Grumbo. You will find the tweet about Roxy and see photos, email addresses, links, everything you need. And you can also help Roxy merely by retweeting my biography of her. Spread the word about Roxy. It's at Tom Jumbo Grumbo on Twitter. Thank you very much. Coming up on Countdown, it had to happen. Trump is actually competing for the honor of being the latest worst person in the world. Plus, yes, everything in sports now has a dollar sign on it. Even injured ballplayers, minor league rehabs. Coming up, first postscripts to the news, some headlines, some thoughts, some snark. 
Dateline Atlanta, glad to see all those cracking election deniers upheld the sanctity of the electoral process. The Washington Post reporting, quote, sensitive election system files obtained by attorneys working to overturn Trump's 2020 defeat were shared with election deniers, conspiracy theorists, and right-wing commentators. The Sullivan Strickler firm, a computer group of some sort from Georgia, records from a lawsuit show got into one computer in that state because then election supervisor Misty Hampton said the quote election was not done true and correct among those the post reports downloaded all of this sensitive data and yes these may be crimes Doug Logan of Cyber Ninjas John Basham a meteorologist from Texas who has appeared with Sean Hannity what's the weather like John a podcaster named Altman who has called for gallows to be built to, quote, take care of all these traitors to our nation, and most importantly, Conan Hayes, a former professional surfer. If you're wondering, these sound like crimes, Keith. Well, you ain't heard nothing yet. All the records in the lawsuit, all, all the names of innocent bystanders and voters and such, they're supposed to be blacked out in all these legal filings. But, quote from the Post, the text beneath some of the blacked out blocks became visible when a Post reporter copied and pasted it into a separate file. I'm thinking monkeys with typewriters here. Dateline New York, The Times, has published an op-ed by the editor of the National Review, Rich Lowry. It's about the Mar-a-Lago search. Headline, can you tell me what would happen if the FBI were investigating a Democrat? If the shoe were on the other foot and a high-profile Democrat were similarly targeted, the left would be just as suspicious of the authorities and defensive of the target as the right has been. It takes this idiot Lowry eight paragraphs to remember that this country came to a complete stop for all of the year 1998 because President Clinton was being investigated for a stained dress. Hillary Clinton whom the FBI announced it was again investigating over emails on the same level of sensitivity of your appointment reminders from your dentist days before the 2016 presidential election. Hillary Clinton does not appear in Lowry's article till paragraph 11. Why the Times felt it needed to give this wretch Lowry a platform, I cannot guess. More importantly, if it was going to give him a platform, why did it not simply reprint the greatest thing Rich Lowry ever wrote? Once again, from October 2nd, 2008, after the vice presidential debate between Joe Biden and Sarah Palin, it's Rich Lowry of the National Review, quote, A very wise TV executive once told me that the key to TV is projecting through the screen. It's one of the keys to the success of, say, a Bill O'Reilly who comes through the screen and grabs you by the throat. We all know how that turned out, by the way. Let me get back to this. Palin, too, projects through the screen like crazy. I'm sure I'm not the only male in America who, when Palin dropped her first wink, sat up a little straighter on the couch and said, Hey, I think she just winked at me. And her smile by the end when she clearly knew she was doing well. It was so sparkling, it was almost mesmerizing. It sent little starbursts to the screen and ricocheting around the living rooms of America. This is a quality can't be learned. It's either something you have or you don't. And man, she's got it! I'll remind you again, that ain't Mencken or even Woodward and Bernstein, but remember the difficulty degree that Rich Lowry faced here about writing his piece about Sarah Palin. He was writing it with one hand.
This is Sports Center. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. From the world of wide sports, Tom Brady is back with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers after an absence of 11 days for unexplained personal reasons. The hot rumor mentioned on a pregame telecast by a rival team executive is that Brady was busy filming episodes of the TV reality show The Masked Singer which beats the other rumor, which was that Brady had to stay inside and out of the sun for 11 days while they refilled those 50 caskets full of soil from his native country. And Bryce Harper will soon be back with the Philadelphia Phillies. It's not so much where he's been. He broke his thumb on June 25th. He's been rehabilitating. It's about his rehab with the Phillies minor league team, the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. Harper will be playing for them tonight, presumably a few days more before returning to the Philadelphia lineup, but even that is not the interesting part. It's that the Iron Pigs press release about Harper includes a sponsorship, quote, Bryce Harper's rehab appearance is presented by Good Shepherd Rehabilitation. They're selling sponsorships for rehab stints now. And this isn't even the first one. When Mitch Hanniger of the Seattle Mariners went to the minors last month to get back into shape with the Everett Aquasox, the Aquasox put out a graphic showing Hanniger and an ad identifying its rehab sponsor, Major League Pizza. Unfortunately, the ad was composed in such a way that it looks like the place is called Major League Pizza Rehab. Still, it could be worse. My college town, Ithaca, New York, has never actually had a minor league team, but it has a company that runs an ambulance service and a funeral home, and the ambulance service boasts that it often transports patients to places like Binghamton, Elmira, Rochester, Syracuse, all of which do have minor league teams. Places called Bangs. Bangs Ambulance, Bangs Funeral Home. This player's rehab is brought to you by Bangs Ambulance and Funeral Home. Don't forget, whether you're going out forever or only for a little while, go out with a Bangs. Thank you, Nancy Faust. Still ahead, I am reminded right now of the most talented broadcaster I ever worked with and how his talent and his genius and his ability to work through days when he wasn't really there were the causes of his self-destruction. First, it's the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze Wisconsin gubernatorial candidate Tim Michaels. Running for the nomination, he promised a self-funded campaign, said he would not accept any individual donations of more than $500. His newest campaign fundraising message this week, please send me $20,000. The silver, we stay in Wisconsin. Somebody got to Ron Johnson, the Republican senator from both that state and Russia, and asked Johnson if he would testify to the January 6th committee about his role as a courier attempting to deliver a message about fake electoral slates to Vice President Pence. His answer, quote, I had nothing to do with the January 6th. I had nothing to do with the alternate slate. I had no idea that anybody was going to ask me to deliver those. My involvement in that attempt to deliver spanned the course of a couple of seconds. I knew nothing about it. I had virtually no involvement. 
Literally, my involvement lasted seconds. Honest, I ran out of gas. I, I had a flat tire. I didn't have enough money for cab fare. My tux didn't come back from the cleaners. An old friend came in from out of town. Someone stole my car. There was an earthquake, a terrible flood, locusts. It wasn't my fault, I swear to God. Okay, once again, I may have embellished the quote a little bit, but Johnson is clearly offering as his defense, I was only involved in the plot to overthrow the government for a couple of seconds. That's not a good defense. And a reminder, when President Kennedy was assassinated, it took 11 seconds. But our winner, for the first time in this series, it's El Duche himself. We are honored, sir. The Marks, the Rubes, the victims, the suckers who donated to the Trump Save America Political Committee may not know the difference between freedom and fascism, but they sure as hell thought their money was going to whatever they think Save America means. It turns out $650,000 donated by the unloved, the uneducated, and the unwashed has now been donated by Trump's Save America PAC to the Smithsonian Institution. And the Smithsonian Institution has now confirmed that that $650,000 will be spent to commission two portraits of Donald and Melania Trump, including artists' fees, shipping, framing, installation, and events. They've left out protective feces-proof glass, but I'm thinking they're going to have to spring for that, too. 650 grand for Smithsonian paintings of an incubus and a succubus. Donald could be worse. They could be nude paintings. Trump, today's worst person in the world! At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. 
I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, to our number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic, me. And I suppose he came into my mind because not only did one of Trump's lawyers call Judge Reinhardt Judge Reinhold last week, but so did the New York Daily News. But I once worked with a newscaster, the most talented person I have ever worked with. And he not only made an unbelievable blooper on one of the big radio stations in New York, but after he did that, they warned him that if he ever did something like that again, they would fire him. And he did it again. And they fired him. His name was Will Spence. And by the time he was 18 years old, he was the news director of a radio station in Connecticut. And he was a substitute anchor at the age of 18 on the top all-news radio station in the country, WCBS in New York. 18. Not long after that, he went to NBC and was the original newsman on Don Imus's radio show. He jumped right from that to being a TV reporter on the NBC station in New York, age 24 or 25, and the sky was the limit. And he was simply a genius and fitting the best definition of that word, someone who could do something with ease that nobody else would even attempt. Will Spence was reporting for the NBC station, Channel 4 in New York, on New York's fiscal crisis of the late 70s, and he had scooped the competition and gotten details of a complicated rescue plan with debt transference and algorithms and adjusted interest rates, and 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 not one moment of his important scoop was on camera. The people who gave him that story would not permit themselves to be recorded or even quoted. So Will simply had his cameraman set up at the foot of the steps of New York City Hall and said to him, follow me, stop at Park Row. And then, three, two, one. And then Will began to walk. The cameraman was next to him and he began to walk. And for two and a half minutes, with impeccable sentence structure and diction and complete accuracy, Will Spence took this extraordinarily complicated rescue plan for New York's hemorrhaging finances with algorithms and explained it. Calmly, succinctly, expertly, simply, a little touch of snark in his voice, and he kept walking and kept walking and kept walking and kept looking to the cameraman by his side and then away into the ground and then back to the cameraman, and then he stopped on the sidewalk of Park Row where he was perfectly framed by the Brooklyn Bridge. Will Spence, News Center 4 at City Hall. I couldn't do that in a million years. 
and I'm okay with doing stuff like that. To be fair, that was take two. On take one, Will had mistimed what he wanted to say and where he wanted to walk, and instead of he and the cameraman stopping on the sidewalk of the street park row, the cameraman stopped, but Will had not yet finished, so Will kept walking into the street itself, and the video then showed him diving out of the way as a garbage truck barreled toward him on Park Row at about 45 miles an hour. And that was the other side of Will Spence. For every act of genius, there was a garbage truck heading towards him with his name on it. I don't know what happened at Channel 4, but I do know he got fired. I know that when I met him in 1980, when I was 21 and he was 30, I was convinced he was closer to 40. And on the morning shift of the New York radio station where we both worked, Will had a little trouble with his own schedule. He was supposed to be there at 3.15 a.m. and on the air for his first newscast at 5 a.m. The station was WNEW, and its decades-old news sound was the bonga bongas. That sound, bonga bonga, bonga bonga, repeating endlessly. I saw Will Spence walk in one morning, pale as a sheet, in his raincoat, gesticulating wildly with his left hand for a news desk assistant to hand him a script, any script, at exactly 5 a.m. No, actually, a few seconds after 5 a.m., so late that the disc jockey was already playing the WNEW news sound, and we were at about the 8th or ninth bonga bonga. And I saw him a small stack of copy jammed into his left hand by the desk assistant, a stack of copy he had not even looked at, with his raincoat still on, sit down, throw his microphone toggle open, and say, flawlessly, WNW News, it's 83 degrees and raining at 5 o'clock. I'm Will Spence. Mayor Koch will meet this morning with representatives of the United Nations to discuss. Like he had been there for hours and written the copy himself and practiced it aloud for three or four times. From the standpoint of the viewer or the listener, Will could sound perfect when he had crafted a thing of genius like the walking stand-up on the fiscal crisis, but he could also sound perfect when he had just staggered into the booth, having successfully found the location of the radio station on the 8th or 9th bonga. And unfortunately, that skill was his undoing. On the night of Wednesday, July 16, 1980, Republican presidential nominee Ronald Reagan was in deep discussions with former president, former vice president Gerald Ford, about Ford running with him as Reagan's vice president. It was unprecedented in American history. It led all the newscasts that night. It was the featured story on all the wire services. Books have been written about this evening and those discussions. And they all fell apart about 11 p.m. because Ford made it clear to Reagan that whoever was president and whoever was vice president, Ford expected them to be more or less co-presidents. Before the calendar had turned to Thursday, July 17, 1980, the deal was dead. Reagan had selected George H.W. Bush as his running mate, and our timeline was irrevocably altered. How dare you, sir? And about five hours later, and about 12 bongas into the 5 o'clock newscast on Thursday, July 17th, in walked Will Spence, this time simply grabbing the first stack of copy he saw, falling into the announce booth, opening up his mic, and starting to read. Unfortunately, what he had grabbed 
was the previous night's 9 p.m. newscast script. WNEW News, it's 83 degrees and raining at 5 o'clock. I'm Will Spence. It seems certain that American history will be made. A man will run for president, and his running mate will be a former president. The Republican 1980 ticket, Reagan and Ford. Those who were there in the newsroom told me they were startled by how many people were actually listening to the 5 a.m. news and were willing to call in and complain and call Will Spence an idiot. Upper management wanted to call him something else, fired, but he had a guardian angel at WNEW in the news director, Sam Hall, who had also been his boss in the Imus days. And Sam gave him another chance but said, do it again and you're gone. I really don't know what was wrong with Will. He told me he smoked a lot of weed. He said he was hypoglycemic. Somebody at WNBC said he used to sit at his desk, pressing his hands to his skull and mumbling, tumors, I can feel them growing, tumors. He was sometimes charming. He gave extraordinarily good career advice, sometimes constructively, and sometimes advice that was designed to leave you bleeding. During a commercial break, Preceding one of my short sportscasts, I sat down in the booth with him, and as an aggressively cheerful ad for a bank played in the background, Will let loose on me. So I heard him and this commercial for the bank mixed together, juxtaposed like this. You have potential, Overman, but you have to change your entire delivery. We're the friendly bank. You can go up to Yankee Stadium, interview every player and every fan, and play all the little cuts you want on the radio, but you get nowhere if you can't read the script like a man. We're the bank that cares about you. You're nasal, you sound constipated. You get nowhere in this business. On the other hand, I could read the phone book on the air and make it sound like the Bible. Come in and see our friendly tellers today. Shape up or you're fired. And, by the way, fix your damned eyebrows. Manhattan Bank, member FDIC. Now with sports, good morning, Keith Olbermann. I said nothing. For a second, maybe more, I contemplated using a falsetto. And I finally stammered through my 30 seconds, got up to leave, and as Spence threw to the weatherman, Spence said, And that sucked, too. I was the only person left at WNEW who liked him, and I was beginning to hate him. He would take me aside sometimes and tell me that his first wife and her divorce lawyer were up in the blimp, following him around the city. Sometimes he claimed they were working in cahoots with the news director, Sam Hall, to destroy him, when in fact Hall was the only thing standing between him and unemployment. Somebody once made a mild joke about him and his age in the newsroom, and he threw a stapler at them. He complained one of the women there was stalking him. In fact, he was stalking her. And inevitably, on October 3rd, 1980, he either made an impossibly unlucky grab for an old script during the 17th bongo or something, or more likely, somebody in the newsroom set him up. WNEW News, it's 55 degrees and raining at 5 o'clock. I'm Will Spence, the Pope. John Paul II made history arriving in our city yesterday, and today a ticker tape parade, and then he will address the faithful at Madison Square Garden. Coverage of the Pope all day on WNEW News. That had happened on October 3rd, 1979. This was now October 3rd, 1980. Will Spence was reading, literally, year-old news. 
As I recall, they fired him before his shift ended, maybe before the next newscast. Year old news. Months later, I was working at the RKO radio network for my boss, Charlie Steiner, one of the voices of the Dodgers now, when RKO expanded and started a second network, and they brought in to run it Sam Hall. Sam Hall hired a bunch of guys with great pipes, and he hired Will Spence. Olderman, I see you took my advice. Look at this. Something whizzed past me and stuck in a box of wire copy. It's a Brazilian throwing dagger. I have a collection. At RKO, on the night of the Grammys, Will interweaved a clip of every winning song into his script, live on the air, throwing cartridges left and right as he did it. The next hour, he updated it with the latest winner. The next hour, he updated it with the latest winner after that. It was utter, unqualified genius. And... He also told me at RKO there was a woman stalking him, who in fact he was stalking, and he addressed everybody by their job title. Tape editor, come here. And once they postponed a 9 a.m. staff meeting until 3 p.m. and didn't tell him before he drove in from his house in Connecticut, so he simply went to his Manhattan studio apartment and, as he told me, smoked pot for six hours. And then he came back and insulted literally every member of the 40-person staff, went from one to the other to the other, saying as nasty a thing as he could think of about them. When our nicest, sweetest news editor stood up on her desk and screamed, Spence, get the F out of here before I kill you, before we all kill you. He was genuinely shocked. Ashen, he came over to me. A lot of the bravado was gone. Olderman, for God's sakes, help me. Help me, Keith. Well, I heard his life story. It took two hours. We went into Steiner's office. We stole two of Charlie's cigars and smoked them. It was the living embodiment of the phrase, just because you're paranoid, it does not mean they are not out to get you. I was trying to think how to help him when days later news came that he had been Hired as a TV reporter by another New York TV station, WABC Eyewitness News. And then over there on his first day, he was bitten by a dog. And he wanted to go to the hospital to get checked out. They made him go out on another story instead. Dogs, garbage trucks, they all had Will's name on them. A decade later, Will wound up in L.A., where I had made my mark by then as a local TV sportscaster. He had been hired by a rival station and still did those incredible, intricate walking stand-ups, now live every night, usually from a crime scene on the 11 o'clock news. One night, his own crew managed to not just sabotage him, but knock him down with a slow-moving car live on the air while he was declaiming into the camera. His last job at yet another L.A. station he got because the aging woman anchor there, 15 years his senior, had taken a fancy to him. She got fired, he got fired, and one day the phone rang at MSNBC, maybe 2006? It was Will Spence. The Pope had sent a hit squad to kill him, he said. The whole Catholic Church was involved. Did I have the number of the woman who used to stalk him? It was far more awful than it sounds. I think somebody sent me an email early in April 2008. I'm pretty sure that's how I found out. Will Spence had driven his car at high speed into a bridge abutment in Ventura County outside L.A. 
There was a story that he had had heart problems and had just seen his doctor and gotten bad news, but we'll never know for sure. I went to put together a little tribute to him that night on Countdown, and online I could not find a single photo of him nor any form of biography. Even now, there is one photo accompanying a sad tribute to him, published a couple of weeks later in one of the newspapers in Ventura County. It was a tribute not unlike this one. What a wasted life. How much you wanted to hate him and couldn't. And on YouTube, there is a tape of one Will Spence TV report from November 18th, 1981, Channel 7 in New York. This talent who could decipher the plan to save New York City from bankruptcy and recite it as he walked exists forever for two minutes and 46 seconds of his report on the marriage of Luke and Laura from ABC's General Hospital. And by the way, even it is brilliant. I've done all the damage I can do here. This is where I ask you to rate and review the podcasts. Fib, tell them it's wonderful. You listen to it 31 times. The Countdown theme from Beethoven's Ninth, arranged, produced, and performed by Countdown musical directors Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray, produced by TKO Brothers. The other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by the group No Horns Allowed. Our sports music, the ESPN2 Olbermann theme, never ceases to crack me up, written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Incorporated. It's called that because we used to use it on my show on ESPN2 about 10 years ago. Musical comments throughout by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, my friend Jonathan Banks. That's Countdown for this, the 594th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. A new episode tomorrow. Till then, I'm Keith Olderman. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olderman is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. 
Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.